are those who put their trust in the Lord. The Lord has opened our ears to hear. We now open our mouths to exclaim God's praise. Let us worship the Lord our God together. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. The Lord commanded our ancestors to teach their children that the next generation might know them and rise up to tell their children. By your grace, O God, we are your redeemed people, called to serve you and our neighbors. 
grant that your life-giving spirit may move in our hearts and every human heart, that barriers that divide us may crumble and suspicions disappear so that we may receive your gift of justice and of peace with gratitude and with praise. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to everyone here. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. To those gathered in this space and joining us online, we are so glad that you could join with us this morning. Because this welcome is offered on behalf of God, it is extended to absolutely everyone with no qualifying adjectives. You make our gathering complete. So thank you for being with us. We invite you at this time to pass the friendship pads at the end of the pews so that we might greet you by name. You're invited to also uh, fill out the virtual friendship pad if you're joining us online. After worship, you're invited to join us for a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, which you can find to my right down a short ramp. I want to highlight a number of ongoing activities in our community of faith so that you can dive more deeply into our church life. The first announcement I have is that next Sunday, November 19th, is our Commitment Sunday, where we are invited to consider how we are committing ourselves to this community in the next year. In celebration and recognition of this important day, you will find outside these doors a banner where you're invited to add your own thoughts to this statement. My giving matters because. My giving matters because. You will see a number of important people in our congregation have already shared their thoughts. You are invited to take a sticky note and do the same. Uh, and if you haven't received the mailing uh, for our stewardship campaign, you are invited to reach out to the office. I also want to make note to the, office, the officer nominating committee request uh, that you will find in your bulletin. You are invited to consider folks in our community who might be able to serve on our leadership board and take those requests. There's a box right outside of this door where you can place those. We have a number of gatherings in our community coming up in the next week, including the Women of Wit and Wisdom happening this Wednesday, November 15th at 10 a.m. Please let Diane Rogers know if you plan to attend. I hear they have an amazing guest speaker. It's me. This is the final week for the MANA pie fundraiser. Uh, I have put my pies in. I hope that you could do the same. There is a place right up the street where you can pick them up in a number of locations around the city. We also want to note that there will be a memorial service for Eve Ann Wilson, a longtime member of this congregation. It will be happening Friday, November 17th at 1 p.m. We invite you to join us for that celebra celebration of life service. You are invited to look at the rest of the announcements in your bulletin, or if you want to keep up on everything going on in our community, to subscribe to the weekly email uh, that you can find online. At this time, I would love to invite up the Reverend T.J. O'Malley to uh, come and speak with us for our Minute of Mission. T.J. Uh, represents the Covenant Network of Presbyterians. I got to know T.J. while we participated in the Credo Conference 
for clergy back in 2018. He and the Covenant Network is doing great work in our denomination on behalf of LGBTQIA plus communities in our church. So uh, I would love to invite CJ to come and share with us. morning. Grace and peace to each of you in the name of Christ. Um, I come to you um, by way of Boise, Idaho, where I am currently serving as the pastor of Southminster Presbyterian Church, uh, as well as on the uh, board of directors of the Covenant Network of Presbyterians. On behalf of the entire board, as well as our executive director, the Reverend Brian Ellison, it is an honor and privilege to bring you warm greetings this day, as well as deep gratitude uh, for the, the faithful and generous support that this congregation continues to offer to our ministry. Uh, the work of the Covenant Network began back in 1997 with a mission to seek the full inclusion of LGBTQIA+ individuals in the life and leadership of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA. Um, throughout the past quarter of a century, that work has been pursued through educational programs, through advocacy efforts, through congregational resources, and by supporting church leaders who found themselves in times of crisis. A lot of uh, work has done has been done in the past 25 years, especially in the past 13 years. In 2010, ordination standards were changed to allow for the ordination and installation of LGBTQIA plus pastors, elders, and deacons throughout the denomination. And shortly thereafter, marriage equality was added to our uh, denomination's constitution in 2014. Those are incredible victories. And there is still work to be done. The work of the Covenant Network to advocate for justice and equality throughout our denomination is in many ways as important now as it ever has been. So what are we up to these days? Our signature program right now is what we call the Covenant Conversations, where individual congregations or presbyteries invite us to lead and participate in one-day conferences with worship and workshops. In fact, in addition to being here to bring uh, greetings to you this day, the reason I find myself on the East Coast is that our most recent Covenant conversation was right down the road in Dover, Delaware, uh, yesterday, throughout the day. Uh, these conversations invite open and honest dialogue about the challenges and the opportunities that face the church and its members towards a journey toward full inclusion. They have been phenomenally successful events uh, throughout the nation. I'm also excited to say that we have shared uh, a vision for um, setting sights on global connections. With the help of an increasingly diverse board of directors, including a Presbyterian mission co-worker who serves in Costa Rica, a member of our denomination's Committee on Ecumenical Relations, and a member of the World Council of Churches, we are now supporting our global church partners in efforts for inclusion in their own context, wherever they are around the world, often having the same sorts of conversations that we ourselves have been having in much of the Western world the past 50 years. And importantly, Covenant Network continues to be a pastoral support and advocate 
for those who face discrimination in the church today, of seminary students whose path to ordination is blocked by their presbyteries because of their sexual orientation, of church members who feel called to leadership in the church but whose gender identity has prevented such a call from emerging, of pastors whose sexual orientation is disclosed publicly in harmful ways in an effort to force them to resign. All of these scenarios have actually occurred in our nation, in our denomination, in the past year. And in these situations and many more, the Covenant Network has been by their side. These priorities are possible only because of the network part of our name, Covenant Network. The support of about 400 member congregations throughout the country partnering together in mission and ministry. Congregations like Southminster Presbyterian Church in Boise, Idaho, and congregations like First Presbyterian Church right here in Philadelphia. And so again, I, I want to return to my primary message this morning, which is a message of gratitude. Thank you for your continued generosity of financial support as a congregation, as well as many individual gifts uh, who uh, are made year by year. Thank you for the ways that you seek to be an active partner in the work of inclusion and justice in the life of the PCUSA. And thank you for holding us and our ministries in prayer wherever we find ourselves in conversation throughout our denomination. We are honored to be a mission partner of this congregation for just such a time as this. By the grace of God, may we experience a church as just and as inclusive as God's grace for us all. Amen. Thank you, TJ. We come to God for truth because we are untrue. We come to God for strength because we are weak. We come to God for wisdom because we are not wise. We come to God for justice because we are unjust. So let us come in humility to confess our sin and to ask for God's renewing grace. Let us pray together and then in silence. Holy God, you have sent us your Son so that we might boldly follow his example in our world today. At times, we earnestly try to follow your way of reconciliation and love. At other times, we allow apathy, cynicism, and divisiveness to guide our paths. Forgive us if we have closed our eyes to the needs of others. Forgive us if we have closed our ears to the groaning of creation. Forgive us if we have closed our hearts and made no room for compassion. Forgive us if we have closed our minds and refused to engage challenging conversations from easy answers and careless solutions. Bring us back to your love once more. We ask you to stir us awake to your comforting and challenging presence 
as we continue to pray. God's word, which is always good news. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we learn that God's love has no bounds. In Christ, we are empowered to begin anew. Believe the promise of the gospel.
listen for the word of God as it comes from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Reading from chapter 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land in whom, whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us all along the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. This ends the first lesson. The letter from the epistles comes from Paul's letter to the first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Listen for God's word. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. Our final scripture passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Listen for God's word for you. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough oil for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Loving God, in the sacredness of this place, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit that we might be startled by your truth. Be with us now. We offer all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. I have officiated more than a dozen wedding ceremonies since I have been ordained, and what I have noticed is that almost none of them have started on time. From my experience, even the most organized and prepared wedding parties have had unexpected delays caused by bad traffic or a misplaced item or even a last-minute garment repair. 
The most extreme example I have experienced of a deferred ceremony occurred when the family forgot to pick up the groom's grandmother for the event. When it became apparent that grandma was missing from the celebration, already a good 20 minutes after the guests began to arrive, one of the groom's cousins rushed out to retrieve her. As the time slowly ticked by, the guests began to grow wary in the August heat. After more than an hour of waiting, people started to pick at the hors d'oeuvres and pour themselves cold beverages. Meanwhile, I was feverishly looking at parts of the wedding ceremony that I could shorten and make more succinct. And finally, after more than two hours of waiting, Grandma finally arrived, and we ushered the guest into the unair-conditioned sanctuary for one of the briefest wedding ceremonies I have ever officiated. The moral of the story? Don't forget Grandma. Or maybe it's always have snacks on hand. Or maybe it's even all's well that ends well. The couple is still married to this day, and if a delayed ceremony is the biggest obstacle in their marriage, then I think they will be just fine. As we look at our scripture passage for, the, for today, we may be tempted to reduce this parable down to a concise adage akin to one of Aesop's fables. The last verse of the parable even includes a kind of closing command. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. On closer examination, though, this instruction uh, appears strangely out of place with the rest of the story. It, it was not their sleeping that caused the wise or the caused the foolish bridesmaids to be shunned from the wedding banquet. In fact, all ten of the bridesmaids fell asleep while waiting for the, the bridegroom. Instead, it was their lack of oil that cost them their ticket to the festivities. But even if we try to pare the story down to some quaint moral like be prepared as if Jesus was a card-carrying member of the modern-day Boy Scouts, then I think we have lost the true purpose of this parable. See, Jesus' parables were not meant to efficiently teach us how to be upstanding moral citizens, but rather they were intended to make us think. Parables are what medieval monks referred to as chewing scripture. They are like a grain of spice that we need to hold in our mouths until they yield their full flavor. They are stories that we need to return to over and over again and engage in thoughtful dialogue, even debate over their meaning. Parables as a literary genre open themselves up to a multitude of interpretations, and by restricting our understanding of them to one single meaning, is to effectively limit the parables and therefore limit ourselves. Furthermore, Jesus' parables not only serve to encourage this kind of dialogical communal truth, but they're also meant to shock us and to stir us up into action. Vanderbilt New Testament scholar Dr. Amy Jill Levine explains how parables are designed to surprise, challenge, shake up, and indict. She writes, what makes parables mysterious or difficult is that they challenge us to look into the hidden aspects of our own values, of our own lives. 
They bring to the surface unasked questions, and they reveal answers we have always known but refuse to acknowledge. Our reaction to parables should be one of resistance rather than acceptance. Therefore, if we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse, if we fail to take any challenge, then we are not listening well enough. I imagine that many of us here today have come across Jesus's parables before, especially the more iconic ones, like the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. Our familiarity with these parables often has the effect of what Levine describes as domesticating these stories, of stripping them of their provocative edge. These stories are not meant to be radical or even countercultural, but they are supposed to be unsettling, tapping into some kind of deep truth that we'd prefer not to face. As we consider some different possible interpretations for this parable of the ten bridesmaids, we are invited to pay attention to the messages that stir us up and leave us feeling agitated. We're also invited to consider its meaning in conversation with one another, opening up this story to multiple readings. So with that, let's dive in. One unsettling truth I see in this parable speaks to the strangeness of time. The parable begins in typical turn of phrase for Matthew, the kingdom of heaven will be like. The kingdom of heaven exists in this temporal tension between the already and the not yet. The kingdom is, in some regards, already here, and yet we are still waiting for it as well. We, like the ten maidens, have already begun our preparations for the grand wedding banquet, but the ceremony has not officially commenced. We have all already begun our lives, and we are all inevitably waiting for the next thing, waiting for the next season, the next degree, the next promotion, the next holiday, the next set of tests, the next milestone, the next anything. Waiting for the bridegroom's arrival is frustrating, and also the longer he is delayed, the more comfortable we become in our waiting. We, too, have started to pick at the hors d'oeuvres and pour ourselves cold beverages. We have become so comfortable in the everyday monotony of our lives that we have lost sight of the bigger picture, of the bigger purposes in our lives, so much so that we are shocked when the bridegroom does finally arrive, when we are confronted with the uncomfortable truth that our existence can change at the drop of a hat. Life can be so frustratingly slow and so painfully fast at the same time. Many of us here, some more poignantly than others, know that our lives as they exist today are so fragile. The walls of our worlds are paper thin. And so when the parable closes by saying, keep awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour, it is not merely a statement about the supposed end times, but it is a much needed reminder that tomorrow is not a guarantee. While we 
wait for the next thing in our lives. And sure, while we maybe even wait for Jesus's return as well, we cannot wait to act in this life. Active waiting means applying for the job, taking the trip, making the call, signing up for the class, attending the protest, forgiving the friend, reconciling with the estranged relative while we still can before life shocks us once again with its abruptness. The parable's challenge to not wait while we wait is both an invitation to do what we always wanted to do, but to also be the people we always wanted to be. Today's scripture passage is followed by the parable of the talents, and then famously the passage urging us to feed those who are hungry, clothe those who are naked, welcome those who are strangers, visit those who are sick and in prison. We may have dreams of being hospitable and compassionate and generous people, but we often attach stipulations to these dreams, like I will visit my lonely neighbor when things slow down. I, I will advocate for low-income housing in my city when the kids graduate. I will set up a recurring gift for that nonprofit or financially invest in my faith community when I have a little more money. This parable reminds us of the uncomfortable truth that we cannot put off until tomorrow, being the people of faith who we want to be, for tomorrow is uncertain. We may only have today. Another possible unsettling truth that I see in this parable has to do with anxiety and anticipation. Surely the thought of waking up like the five foolish bridesmaids to realize that you have run out of oil is nightmare fuel. It is akin to showing up to class and realizing you have a test that day that you forgot to study for or a presentation you failed to prepare. There's good counsel in the recommendation that we be prepared in body, spirit, and mind, come what may. But the declaration in verse 13 that you know neither the day nor the hour is not meant to strike fear and anxiety in Jesus' listeners' eyes. But instead, there is something to the fact that both the foolish and the wise bridesmaids fall asleep waiting for the groom's arrival. The wise bridesmaids are able to prepare. They're able to do what is expected of them at the wedding uh, banquet. But when the work is finished, they do not stay up all night anxiously wondering if they have done enough. Instead, they rest. They allow themselves to fall asleep. They prepare and they sleep. They embrace living in this tension of the already and the not yet. Perhaps the discomforting reality this parable is forcing us to face is that we will never not live in this tension. Not until Jesus returns to make all things new. That there is both work to do and there is rest to do. And we must find a way to live our lives firmly planted in both camps. Maybe that's the unsettling message you need to hear today. Or perhaps the provocative truth of this short story has something to do with hope. For millennia, biblical com commentators have debated the allegorical significance of the oil in this parable. Pointing to the rest of Matthew 25, some assume that the oil represents good works, that the wise bridesmaids are able to keep their lamps lit through their service to those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and imprisoned in their midst. 
Others have supposed that the oil represents faith in Jesus, that they are, uh, the wise are those who had stored up enough faith to last them through their waiting. Whatever the oil may or may not symbolize, the important thing is that the wise one keeps their lamps trimmed and burning even if their light was not able to overcome the darkness. And so maybe the message is that in the face of the other bleakness in our world today, by raging wars and ravenous corporate greed, seemingly insurmountable gun violence, and emboldened bigotry against every marginalized demographic, we as a people of faith cannot give in to the darkness that surrounds us. We must keep our lights of faith and service and love burning. The truth is, during the long and uncertain nights, we are called to hold on to the impossible and reckless hope that the world will soon be transformed and made new. Or perhaps, perhaps the oil doesn't represent anything in this story. <laughs> perhaps the bridesmaids are just bridesmaids and the lamps are just lamps. Perhaps these parables cannot be reduced to a one-to-one -one allegory where every character and every non-sentient coin or pearl or seed can be paired with a first century Palestinian societal figure. Many, many interpreters have assumed that Jesus represents the bridegroom in this story and that his delayed arrival to the wedding banquet represents Jesus' long-deferred return to the world. But if Jesus is supposed to be the bridegroom in this story, it's not a great look for him. Where's the grace? Where's the hospitality? Where's the sacrificial love by which we have come to recognize Jesus? Perhaps Jesus is not being autobiographical in this parable, but rather he is telling a tragic tale about an entitled aristocrat who does what he wants without any repercussions, who uses his power to pin young women against each other, who harshly punishes those who mild, mildly inconvenience him. And if, if this interpretation sounds way out there, let me point out that the wonderful, brilliant Dr. Amy Jill Levine guides us down this path. She explains how this kind of non-allegorical reading opens up the parable so that, quote, the right questions can be asked. Questions like, when is selfishness appropriate and when is it not? Questions like, do we rejoice at the bridegroom's coming or condemn him for showing up late? Do we even want to go into the banquet with a delayed bridegroom who slams the door in the face of our friends? Or do we stay outside with the women who just returned with more oil? Might there be a third way so that everyone can rejoice? Maybe the provocative part of this story is how bothersome, how disconcerting the ending is. You're telling me that the kingdom of heaven is like a big wedding feast that excludes half of its household? What happened to Jesus dining with sinners? What happened to the last will be first? What happened to embracing and celebrating the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son? I know that Jesus loves a good dinner party, but the celebration in this parable seems incomplete. Are we not going to let our grandma and our cousin 
into this rowdy celebration simply because they were not prepared enough to arrive to the party on time. Perhaps that's the challenge of this day, to be stirred up by this parable so we might enact God's kingdom by bringing in those who've been excluded and making this divine celebration complete. My hope and my prayer for us this day is that when we leave this holy place, we leave a little less comfortable than when we walked in. I hope that we can consider more uncomfortable truths in conversation with one another. And I hope that when we return to this lectionary passage three years from now, the Spirit stirs us up once more, perhaps even in a new, unsettling way. Thanks be to our God of comfort and our God of, provo of provocative love. Amen.
because we trust in God, even when we do not have words for faith, even when we have doubt and cannot speak of belief, the church gives us the words to say with voices from many centuries and in many places and in many languages, then we can speak of the faith that upholds us. So let us affirm together the words of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As Joshua said to the tribes of Israel as they gathered in the land that God had promised them, choose this day whom you will serve. So we have that choice too. With our ancestors, let us also say, and for us, we will serve the Lord. So now bring your gifts to offer to the one whom you have promised to serve.
Heavenly God, you have given us far more than we need. You have given us your abundant and constant love. Receive these first fruits that we return to you, that they may bless and serve the world. Amen. Let us pray together. Our loving God, our souls long for you as a deer longs for the water brooks. You are our creator, our redeemer, and the sustainer of our lives. You are our truth, grace, and love. For your presence with us, we are so deeply grateful. We are grateful for this earth, our home, for this church, our sanctuary, for each other, our neighbors and our community, and for our calling our vocation to go into all the world in your name to serve those in need, to companion the lone and the lost, to befriend the friendless, to try to speak and do what is just and what is loving. We are thankful this day for music, for the beauty of color, for silence, for the truth of diversity and variety in the fabric of your world. We are grateful for the changing seasons of the year, for growth and for fading for sea and for sky, for the cycling of days, for those with whom we share the world, and for those we love and those who love us. We pray that there may be more places of sanctuary in the world, safety from the horrors of war, Safety from the violence of guns. Safety from the ravages of power that exclude the poor, the hungry, the sick, the old, the differently abled. Safety for those who feel unseen, unheard, unattended by love. We pray especially this day for the safety of children, whether they are in Israel, in Gaza, in Ukraine, in Darfur, or in Philadelphia. For the safety of the world's seas and lands and wildlife, that they too may have places of sanctuary from destruction 
and extinction. And this month when our nation remembers the history of those natives to the Americas where we live, we honor the indigenous peoples who have lived here and loved this land long before we were here. May we hold their sorrow and face honestly the damage our ancestors perpetrated. May we honor the beauty of their tradition and learn its wisdom. As the natural world around us comes to its season of dying, we see the darkness lengthen and the light lessen. We see leaves flame and then dry up, blown away in the wind, reminding us of the fragility of life and of our mortality. We pray for those who have recently lost those they love, for those who approach the end of life, for those who are sick and long for healing. We ask that we might hold this season close and be unafraid, that we may see the sure sign of resurrection in the seed dying and falling to earth and experience the hope of new life promised by your Son. For we know, dear God, that we are never alone, that peace does touch our hearts, that love does hold our hands, that you are near our living heart. And so on this Sabbath day, prepare our way into the ministry that you call us to take up. We pray these things and all our unspoken prayers in the name of the one who taught us first to pray, saying together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
friends, the very good news of this day is that we serve a God of comfort, a God of challenge, and a God who gives us one another to do life together. As we strive to share this good news with one another, I charge you, friends, to go out into this day and to be of good courage, to hold fast unto all that is good. Render unto no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, and honor all of God's people, even as you love and serve the Lord. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day.